0: Writing Matters
1: with Dr. Troy Hicks is a Writable podcast. Find more episodes and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers,
0: check out writable.com. In this episode of Writing Matters, we speak with Josh Stock, who is a language arts teacher at Santa Fe Trail Middle School in Kansas. He has a number of initiatives going on, including a first year of writing workshop in his sixth grade language arts class, He is part of a school reform initiative called Kansans Can, and he even talks a little bit about an alter ego, Dr. Von Stock, and hints at ways in which he's using gamification with his students. Welcome to Writing Matters. Today we speak with Josh Stock. Josh is a sixth grade language arts teacher at Santa Fe Trail Middle School in Kansas. And you're going to have to help me figure out what part of Kansas there. And we were also joking just a bit before the show started about the Kansans Can School Redesign Project that Josh is a part of as well. He's been recognized by the National School Board, by ISTE, um, by a number of other organizations. He's presented at ISTE and at NCTE and is just launching the full writer's workshop in his sixth grade language arts classroom this fall. So welcome, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. I'd like to begin every show by just asking our guests what your path has been. You've obviously done quite a bit so far, and you've got a long ways to go, but uh, tell us a little bit about how, how you have come to where you're at in education and, and uh, some of the things that fuel you and fuel your passion as an educator.
1: Yeah, so uh, I, this is my 12th year of teaching. Um, I've been at middle school my entire time. Um, I thought there was absolutely no way I'd want to be in middle school. Uh, when I first started out, I wanted to be a high school teacher and teach literature, and it was going to be amazing. And then I student taught in middle school and realized that those were my people. Those were the kids that I connected the most with. Um, I like working through that awkward phase of middle school. Um, and so that that's just been a great experience. Um, I am teaching in Olathe, Kansas, which is near Kansas City. Um, and so, yeah, th- this has been a great opportunity to uh, work with a lot of different kids. Um, that's one of the things I love most about middle school is I get, um, you know, 100 to 150 new kids each year. And so um, I've been at the same school my entire time. So that's been great, too, because I get the chance to now work with families that I've, I've had every single sibling. And um, so they come back and they've heard. Legends of the weird things that go on in my classroom. So it's been a great experience all around. Oh, you got to tell us at least a little. You can't just say weird things happen in your classroom and leave it hanging
0: like that. You got <laughs> tell us a little bit of what goes on. So
1: I did a little gamification in my class. And so the theme of my classroom is my students are trying to um, capture my evil twin, Dr. Von Stock. Um, and he looks like me, but he has an evil pirate eye patch. So obviously he's evil. And um, just throughout the year, they they have to face different uh, minions of his, um, and it's just different view activities. I'll bring in like last week, we faced Zach the yak on Mount Everest, and we did some character analysis through that. And so, yeah, they go home and say we climbed Mount Everest and battled the giant yak. So,
0: oh, that's great. <laughs> Well, I can already tell why you've been recognized that I mean, you have to have that kind of sensibility and mindset and willingness to just be flexible and poke a little fun at yourself and have fun with the kids too. So that's fantastic. Great. So yeah, tell us a bit more. So Kansans can it's a school redesign project and you've been given carte blanche to uh upend everything in your school, in your district,
1: uh, and in your
0: own classroom. Tell us about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, so this was this huge project that the uh, Commissioner of Education for the state of Kansas, uh, I think it was two years ago, decided that we needed to shake things up a little bit in education in the state. And so he sent out a request for proposals from districts across the state of schools that wanted to try something different. And so my school was one of the ones that submitted an application. And so we were selected in the first round. Um, They've had three rounds since then. And so I believe there are like 100 100 plus schools in our state that are basically just redesigning what it means to uh, be a school in the state. And so we were allowed to look at what our focuses were on. Um, There are some goals for the state. um, But... Overall, we are allowed to shift things so that we put more emphasis on social emotional learning, um, a lot of civic engagement, and then um, we're really tweaking our academic pillar. But we actually did a whole schedule change. We've done um, different interventions. Uh, We do these things about four times a year called exploration days, where kids are allowed to pick um, three or four things that they want to explore further. And so teachers offer things from animation to, um, they'll go out in the community to do service projects, um, all as a way to just reframe what we think, um, education should look like. Wow.
0: And what would you describe so far as your biggest success in that? What, what's one, one piece of that puzzle that has really come into place for you and for your kids and for your fellow teachers at the school
1: that you can point to? I think the uh, biggest thing is working on the whole child. So really focusing on not just the academic needs. Um, I also teach in a Title I school where we have a lot of family supports that we provide. Uh, We work really closely with um, different community organizations that we can bring in resources. And so we really focus on every single aspect of the child's life to help um, them succeed in school. And so that, I think, has been the biggest success is just us coming together as a whole community um, to work towards this common goal of helping our students succeed. Um, and it's, it's been great to see those moments when things really click into place. Um, there were rough patches <laughs> when, you, when you have a huge change, um, but when things started clicking into place, it's been great. That's amazing, that's amazing. And as part of that, if I'm understanding
0: correctly, you began a podcast about this whole experience of um, what you've been doing. So we definitely wanna hear more about what's going on in your classroom and what writing workshop for is like for you and your students this year. But
1: tell us a bit about your podcast as well. So last year I launched a podcast, it's the Kansas Moonshot podcast. Um, and it was really just to spotlight some of these changes that schools are doing. Um, because each school is really looking at this differently. Um, and how they approach it, and Kansas is a pretty diverse state, and so you've got some metropolitan areas that have different needs than some of the more rural school districts um, in western Kansas, and so each school is really focusing in on their own individual needs, and so my goal is to just highlight some of those things that different districts are doing. Um, For example, some schools are doing, um, they're actually individually scheduling each student's Uh, classes. So some classes are 45 minutes long, some are an hour long. And when I heard a school was doing that, I think that's amazing. I think that's terrifying for me (laughs) to just Mm -hmm. imagine, but just the goal is just to highlight all the great things going on across the state. Wow. The logistics of that would be,
0: yes, incredible. They must have
1: amazing counselors. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Although I wonder if the students like get to then go to like an independent study or Mm -hmm. maybe they get 15 minutes off the end of one period and 15 minutes off the beginning of the next. So they have an extended time to do some enrichment or something. That's great. And so um, through that podcast, you're reaching out to educators all across Kansas and hearing about the different types of innovations going on. Then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully people can bring in ideas um, that and also make connections with other schools um, that are in a similar situation or have an idea that they want to try out. They can reach out to them. And so I try to connect people as much as possible through that.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And so one of the innovations you're pursuing, kind of an oldie, but a goodie. It's it's, uh, everything old is new again and every day in the writing workshop. So tell us what writing workshop looks like for you and what that means for your sixth graders on any given day if we were to walk into writing workshop with you and your students.
1: So um, that has been a huge shift for me. And one thing that I'm starting to realize is that um, elementary teachers have a lot of really cool resources, and they know a lot of amazing things that I didn't experience in my secondary teaching um, schooling. And so uh, when they go, come into my room for workshop. Uh, I completely changed things up. So we pushed the desk back and we actually have carpet time, which I had never done before. But I mean, we actually moved the desk. So that's a completely different feel to the class. It's not our literature study time anymore. It's writing time. And they know when it's writing time, we come up with our journals. We're sitting on the floor. I'm using anchor charts instead of um, we write with the technology. But when we come to the carpet time, we're actually just using paper, pencil, um, so it's a very different feel to that writing time. Um, we are using the teacher's college curriculum for our writer's workshop. And um, that's been a shift for me too, because it's a more structured curriculum. And so I've, I've been learning that as I go. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing for me has been short, many less than 10 minutes, but then the kids are writing. And mm-hmm. that, that was hard for me at first. To give up all of that time to give them to write, I I kept thinking, oh, man, I need to be the one showing them what to do. And really Mm -hmm. just giving them that space to work has been amazing to watch. That is pretty cool. So there's
0: this physical change in the classroom. They come to the carpet for this initial time. And then what happens? Do you allow students at their own pace, like maybe one person's journaling for five or 10 minutes and then they go back to their seat and they pull out their computer to start typing? Or yeah, tell, tell us what happens next. I really wanna hear what those transitions look like and then how the students are able to bring their writing into digital spaces.
1: Yeah, so I usually start off with, um, I'll do a mini lesson, it's usually seven to 10 minutes. Um, Over a topic, whether it's we've been doing a lot of brainstorming since it's still earlier in the launch phase of this. And so we'll do a brainstorming activity and then they'll look through all that we brainstormed and choose something they want to write about. And as soon as they have their idea, then they go back and they find a quiet space in the room that they want to work at. Um, Mm -hmm. If they're stuck, then they just stay at the carpet and I work with those kids Um, so that eventually within about five to seven minutes of um, them figuring out what they want to do, they're spread out throughout the room, working, writing on one of those things that, they, that really inspired them. Sometimes they stick with it. Sometimes they decide this just wasn't a good idea. I want to go back to something I did before or try something new. Sure. So.
0: sure. And then how often do you expect them to bring something to a publication phase where they would share that either through an author's chair or maybe posting something on the class website or otherwise performing their writing what what does that look like or are you just not quite there yet
1: that's one piece that i i'm still figuring out what i want to do because i used to have them um publish about every two or three weeks Um, but this has been trying to find the balance between writing and reading in my class Mm -hmm. has been um a struggle a little bit just because i love both so much and um so the hope is that um about once every two or three weeks, they're bringing something. It may not be polished and perfect, but something that they can share um, with others.
0: Okay. No, that's perfectly reasonable. And I mean, I, I think that you're you're articulating a, a significant challenge that how do we, you know, what, what do we do? You know, we've got to move back and forth between, and it sounds like you're starting to, to, as you mentioned, build that repertoire of, strategies that um, you may have uh, not uh, fully had because secondary teachers don't get quite the same experience as elementary teachers. But it sounds like you're building up a, a good bag of uh, tricks and strategies to manage the writing workshop as well as to think about the content you're trying to teach kids too that's the hope at least. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so are there any uh, particular mini lessons that have been uh,
1: good starters for the kids this fall? Is there anything that they really just jumped right into? So the all time favorite right now has been, um, we drew stick figures and then we just drew arrows to any injury we've had. And so anytime there was an injury story, there was almost always a really interesting, either funny or emotional or sad or, some sort of emotion connected to that story. And so it was usually a pretty good jumping off point. Um, so that one was probably their favorite and had the most ideas that came from it. Um, the other one that was really popular is we traced hands and then wrote down important things that we've held on to. Um, and then we watched mm. the poem um, Hands by Sarah Kay and oh. listened to her her poetry and they liked a little bit we've done a lot of narrative writing but they haven't done poetry writing yet and so getting a different spin to writing um by by doing the sarah Kay poem really helped a lot too and so that led to some great stories as well oh that's
0: amazing well and i think too you're pointing out the fact that we've got to provide them with mentors and give them some opportunity to you know just see that there are other people that are writing about similar topics and it sounds like the uh, stick figure, <laughs> a prompt could be one that would get them really talking and, and moving in some different direction. So I can appreciate that. So so as you think kind of in a broader picture then, you know, you're in the midst of the school redesign, your own classroom redesign. What else is bubbling up for you as you think about what it means to be a teacher of writing? What are the big questions, concerns, the, the curiosities that you bring to the classroom as you're trying to think about what it means to help sixth graders become more capable and confident writers.
1: The biggest thing for me right now is I'm trying to find as many ways as possible to bring in real world connections to their writing and writing for authentic audiences. Um, I know there are some teachers out there that are doing some great things with blogging. Um, Brian Stabnick is doing an amazing job having his kids blog. Um, and that is like the next level. I would love to get them publishing their pieces um, online to a bigger audience, but that's in sixth grade. There are some hurdles with that because of comfort level of parents, where they're at in in having their kids publish for a broader audience. Um, but that that is the hope is that I can give them authentic, real world, practical applications to what they write. Um, if it's a story. They're sharing it with, with um, other people to enjoy, or if it's a, some sort of other piece, for example, we did um, some letters about things they wanted to see change in the world. So we were, uh, were learning about the civil rights movement, the Montgomery bus boycott, and so they researched a topic that they wanted to see change, and they actually wrote letters to whoever could help make that change happen. So a lot of them it was they wrote letters to the superintendent. Some of them said we need recess in middle school. Some of them said we needed um, different class changes. But some of them actually wrote letters to legislators about laws they want to see implemented. And they really took time and energy into what they wanted to say because they knew someone was actually going to read it. And the nice thing was a lot of those people wrote back. And I don't know if it's something that they're actually going to go out and make a law based on the writing, But for the kids to see that this person who makes these decisions cares about what they have to say and wants to respond to what they had to say, um, it was was a really amazing moment. And it was also nice because we did it at the end of the year. So these kids came back from um, summer break and had letters waiting for them. And so that that, that was fun for me to be able to share that with them. That's great. That's great. So
0: outside of blogs, perhaps, are there other types of digital writing you're having the students do and share even within your classroom or school, if not on a blog or
1: another more public space? So we've been doing, um, we also do some script writing as far as, um, so, so when we do persuasive writing, we write scripts for um, public service announcements. And so, and then they record those and that's where they do a lot of research on um, evidence to support whatever claim you're going to make. And that's been a a great opportunity too, because um, a lot of my more vocal students who get intimidated by the writing itself, um, when they see that there's a purpose behind planning out what you're going to say, um, because sometimes they'll just start to record and then I'll, I'll have them watch it again and ask them. Did they prove the point they wanted to make? And a lot of times they don't. And so (laughs) having them actually go through that preparation phase, a lot of those kids who love to talk, it gives them an outlet along with their writing. Right, absolutely. Well,
0: just, and again, helping them make sure that they're supporting their arguments with evidence Mm -hmm. and asking for different kinds of evidence and thinking about what evidence is persuasive to different audiences. All those things are super important. Yeah. Well, and so speaking of different audiences, you've obviously spoken with different audiences at a variety of conferences. You're very engaged professionally. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, your professional approach. You know, how have you built your personal learning network? How have you decided the different types of organizations you want to get connected with? Um, what have you? been involved with, with those organizations? How have you contributed? How have they helped you? Where, where, where do you see yourself as an emerging professional here, uh, especially with these broader state and regional and national networks?
1: So it's it's been a little interesting because trying to figure out when I started presenting at conferences and things, where does my role as a teacher and where does the role as a presenter how do I find a balance between those two so that one doesn't Mm -hmm. infringe on the other? Um, But really it all started about five years ago. I started working with uh, Kansas university on a research project through them. Um, They came in and did a writing project with us. And so through that, I was able to connect with uh, Mace, which is an affiliate of ISTE uh, for the state of Kansas. And then I connected with ISTE and as I made those connections, it led to more connections. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's amazing how you talk to one person, which then leads to another introduction to someone else. And a lot of the things I've had the opportunity to, to do have all been through either someone I connected with through Twitter or someone I connected through this research project. Um, and so that's really what I've been working on is just how can I connect with the most people and so sometimes it's through Twitter groups, some Twitter chats. Sometimes it's through um, ISTI has been probably the, the biggest one where I made the most connections, um, met the most people, including you last summer. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, I definitely
0: that resonates for me thinking about what you just said, like one connection leads to the next and then you're able to suddenly talk and be on a podcast you're able to then present a conference proposal a year from now or you know you you start to figure out that it's not about the immediate thing it's about right. the long-term relationship and I, I I feel that you know over time and it sounds like you're setting yourself up well for this like as long as teachers are strategic and friendly right like hey right. How's it going how can I be helped? And, and that doesn't mean that you have to say yes to every opportunity. In fact, sometimes there's really strategic and smart reasons to say no. Um, but try to say yes to something that you feel is going to push you out of your comfort zone, whether it's to present at a conference or to be on a webinar or to record a podcast, yeah. or do something like that. Because yeah, you're you're going to have those opportunities to then make that connection, which will then lead to another connection. So I definitely agree with that.
1: Can you um, tell us a little bit more about that writing uh, research project you did with Kansas University? What was involved? So, in yeah, uh, the project I was working on with them, um, we were working on writing strategies for um, uh, struggling writers. And so it was how to pair technology um, with writing. And so it was working with them, they developed a um, writing uh, tracker that tracks. Um, different grammatical errors that students make, and then they can track how many words they're writing, and so I was the teacher support, so they brought in the resources, and then I used their resources, and then they were able to measure how that worked, Um, but that then led to um, more consultant work for them, and so I do a lot of video productions for them, so they'll say, hey, we've got this writing strategy, Uh, we want to pair it with this technology, can you develop a video to teach teachers how to use this strategy and pair the two together. And so oh, I do a lot right. of the media creation for them now. Oh, great. Yeah, pu- go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, are those publicly available or are they kind of behind a research project
1: paywall? <laughs> uh, they are in the final stages, I think. Um, oh, okay. I, at this point, I'm just the, they tell me what to do and I send them the video. And so hopefully, okay. uh, I think they're gonna be available soon, but. I know, um, we've got a proposal in for ISTE coming up next summer. So hopefully we'll be able to share more of that at ISTE.
0: Oh, good. Well, yeah, definitely. We'll make sure that we get those shared. That sounds cool. And so then, you know, uh, this is the question that always puts everyone on the spot, but since you know so many resources and so many people to follow on Twitter and blogs to follow and podcasts to listen to and books to read and things like that, um, this is a hard one. If you had to choose just one, something that someone should focus on right now, the book that they should order, the Twitter person that they should follow, the blog that they should read, what's the go-to resource for you right now? Is there, is there one that you can just toss out there to, to help listeners better know where and
1: how to stay informed? Wow, that is a that is a very, very tough, tough question to answer. Yeah. Um, just because there are so many. Um, and most of mine are very uh specific to what I'm interested in. So f- gamification is my my big project right now that I'm the most interested in. Um and so I participate in the XP lap chat, XP L A P chat. Um yeah. and it is on Tuesday nights at nine o'clock on Twitter. And that has been the one that has really helped drive me, um, just because it's such a supportive group of educators who all love gamification. And so that, that's kind of been my go-to right now.
0: Oh, great. So that's the XP
1: lap chat and that's on Twitter on Tuesday nights. Yes. Yes. And it stands for explore like a pirate. Um, and it's, uh, Michael Matera's based on his book and he helps lead the chat. Um, But there's so many teachers on there who know so much more about gamification than me. So, Well, right. But again, I mean, that goes back to what
0: we were just saying a few moments ago, right? It's it's that moment. And I'm working with my pre-service teachers right now to this point, too. Like, you just have to be open to these different opportunities because you never quite know when that just right tweet is going to come with the link that you need or when you're going to have that conversation with another Mm -hmm. educator that's going to give you that insight into that new tool or strategy or something like that so no that's great that's definitely great so um as we think then about you know kind of where you're at and and what you would like to do um you know have two kind of questions for you first of all what's on your horizon and then after we hear a little bit about that and as we come to a close i i'd really like to hear about the role of writing in your professional life because obviously you're doing a lot of writing whether it's lesson plans grant proposals. Uh, conference presentations, things like that. but let's hear what's next. What, what are the other things that you're looking at right now? You said you just submitted an IST proposal, so hopefully we'll see you there next summer. but what, what else are you working
1: on or what's got your curiosity sparked? Uh, so right now I'm working on a book proposal. Um, it should hopefully, um, I'm in the final phases of that. Um, and it should be uh, finalizing a contract here in the next uh, week or two, hopefully. So uh, I'm really excited about that um, because I've been wanting to share it, but I can't until they officially send me the contract. But
0: Oh, cool. Well, cool. well I won't ask you who the publisher is, but can you give us the elevator pitch on the, on the proposal? Or, or is that Absolutely. still uh, Absolutely. confidential too? Okay. <laughs> no,
1: no. So um, my uh, book is about uh, how to use teacher-created videos in the classroom. So I do a lot of flip learning as well. Um, And so I do a whole bunch of different ways to use those videos in the classroom, whether it's um, flip reading lessons or um, flip writing lessons or reteaching concepts. Um, I think video is a great tool and kids love YouTube anyway. And so how to incorporate that in the classroom to engage them and get them connected to learning, so.
0: Oh wow! So that could be a whole other podcast conversation. But yeah. <laughs> if you had to, if you had to boil it down, and you, you, I'm sure you probably in your proposal and as you write the book, you're coming up with this. What what is a tip that you might give someone? Just just something little that could help them take an average. Yeah, this is me recording my screen, telling you what you should be doing to maybe make it a little more stylistic or a little bit better or more effective. Are, are there any quick strategies that you you
1: rely Honestly. on in your own production? Honestly, it's more about quantity when you first start out because teachers get too intimidated and they focus okay. on the the details and they want to make it perfect. But I, I found that the more I recorded, the better I got. So just going out there and recording videos uh, okay. and as many places as possible and as many different variety of videos as possible. Just get out there and record.
0: The- well, even that's good advice too, right? Like it doesn't always have to be in your classroom teaching right. the concept. It could be someplace, which is great. And and so this t- ties in perfectly. And so as a form of digital composition with the video and you're writing a book and you're doing conference proposals and everything, clearly writing plays a role in your life. So tell us a bit more about that. Who do you see yourself as a
1: teacher writer? So um, I also do a blog and um, a lot of my goal is to give as many resources and tools to uh, educators as possible. And so it is a great way for me to reflect on what I've done and share it with others, but also remind myself of what I've done. So for example, this week we had this unit that we were doing um, and I couldn't remember how I taught it last year. And I, I remembered, I wrote a blog post about this and so I went back and looked at it and remembered some of the little nuances of it that I could go back and reflect on later. So a lot of writing for me is just that reflective piece. Um, and to be able to share that with others as well.
0: Oh, that's great. I,
1: I can commiserate. I've done that before too. I know I've
0: talked about that at one point, yes. you know, between Google drive and the search function on my blog. I don't know how I ever remember anything. So that's great. That's great. Well, I really appreciate all that you do within for your students and within for colleagues, and um, wish you all the best. Uh, we will definitely have links to your podcast and so on in in the show notes. Um, and if anyone wanted to find you on Twitter, could you remind us of your Twitter handle, please? Uh,
1: on Twitter, I'm at Teach Like a Ninja. All right.
0: Well, thank you so much, Josh, and all the best as you continue to implement writing workshop in your classroom this year. Thank you. Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Discover more episodes and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms. Or check out filmed episodes on YouTube. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com.